Hello and welcome to the Eating 1871 podcast with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to the people involved and bringing you all the news from Eating Trailfinders Amateur Men's Section. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Ealing Trail Finders 1871 pod. Today's guest, very well-known, loved, and very well-known character around the club. He's been described as the James Bond, as Valis Way. He's rolling back the years after he's hit his half century. It is, of course, Jake Usher, a player without portfolio this evening. Afternoon, Jake. Uh, how are you feeling? Uh, been playing a fair bit this season already. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, lucky Daniel Craig to look like me. He's a very lucky guy. <laughs> he is indeed, um, isn't he, Jess? Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a funny one. You sometimes need a bit of a kick in the ass, and <clears throat> our uh, vets team platform fell apart uh, this season. Um, and I think it was Eddie Beck who put a text out just saying, "Come on, guys, get down to the club, support the second team." Support the uh, the third team, the Exiles, and you know we've got a good setup down here. And come on down, and it it really spurred me to think. Actually, if I was prepared to play for the Vets team, then why wouldn't I be prepared to support the club in a different way? If the Vets were practically falling apart at that point, so so yeah, I've, I've sort of offered myself up, and I've, I'm playing some really really enjoyable uh, rugby, which I feel like I haven't played for about uh, three or four seasons. So, um, yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. I noticed you uh, uh, you played number eight a couple of times, right, and got yourself out of the second row. And, of course, you're always a line-out option, which, you know, the seconds and the exiles haven't had for, for a few seasons. Um, how's it? How's your, how's your body holding up with all the work in the back row or the engine room and, and in the line-out especially? Well, if you speak to me on Tuesday, um, fatigue will seriously have set in by then banging the door down at, uh, at at 50 now, um, it is a different kettle of fish. You sort of wake up on uh, Saturday, sorry, Sunday morning, a bit sore and lift, and Monday it, it, it's practically a write-off. Uh, and Tuesday, the, the fatigue and and my my temper <laughs> with the kids and the wife seriously dim, 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 they just disappear. They know to sort of leave me alone. And then by Wednesday, it all starts making sense again. And by Thursday, I'm waiting for the team sheet to come out. So you've got the taste back now, haven't you? Um, not been at training so much, just keeping it to the matches. Yeah, it's it, 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 it's tough to get training. Um, I think one of the hardest things, oddly enough, as, as training for me tailed off about sort of five, six years ago, I found the hardest part of training actually was getting in the car and going training. So it was the 20 metres between my front door and my car. I found the hardest bit. If I could be teleported to the club, I'd go three, four, five times a week. It was that commitment. And that's the point where you realise that you were completely committing to rugby in a way of also not just making yourself available for Saturday, but for being available for Tuesday, sorry, training Tuesday and Thursday. It is another step up in commitment. And I realised that the hardest I say the hardest part was getting in the car and getting there. Once I got in the car and I was down the end of my street, it was fine. But you can find every excuse, kids, homework, busy life, busy work life, running a business. But that's the hardest part of training is getting in the car. So um, I took, at that point, you know, playing for the vets back then, it was kind of not really needed. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's oddly enough with the level of uh, I'm coming in 
now playing for sort of exiles and occasionally for the second team, um, it is actually looking at it and going, mm, I would make a bit of sense to get in that car and go training. It's just finding that time. It's, it's quite tough. For sure. At this stage and, of my life. But and obviously as you mentioned uh, we mentioned at the beginning as well, you you passed the past the half century mark. It was a great night it was celebrating it with you. Thank you for the invite. Um but how do you how do you feel you sort of your, your game has changed as you know, maybe the last ten, five, ten years? Um positional play on the field. <laughs> you probably Dean, um, Dean Richards let yeah, the ball find you. Just no, yeah, just knowing where to be at that point, it, it it is it is quite interesting how your body changes between thirty and forty and forty and fifty. Um, you know, you, you you there's no real hiding place on a rugby field when you're banging the door down at forty and fifty. You've you know you just got to get yourself in the right position, the right play. Um, you know, you do look around the guys you're playing with and tend to go, well, he's you know. 5, 10, maybe 20 years my senior. And you just help them get into the right position, knowing that, you know, you put yourself where you know you can be effective with what you can deliver. Um, now, so going back a bit, how did you, how and when did you first become involved in the feeling? What was your sort of, your path into the club and, and how did that develop over the years? Well, I moved from North, North London to West London uh, about 20 odd years ago. Uh, I used to play for Harringay. Well, I think you've had a couple of, Exiles and had a couple of clashings with them uh, at a brilliant little club, Harringay. Um, amazing social life. The rugby was a bit on the back burner, and I came down to West London and was looking for a club of which I could have picked an absolute handful from coming down here. It's very rich West London for rugby clubs. And I was getting on the tube one day at West Kensington, um, and I saw a billboard with um, Greg Tyndall. Some of them, some of you people might remember him, a real club man, like back 25, 22 years ago. And uh, it just said, come and play rugby at Ealing. So I took the number down and made the phone call to, I think back then was Mike Cudmore. And he said, yeah, get yourself down training Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, and yeah, I think I turned up there. I was very impressed with the setup straight away. And back then we didn't have 3G pitches um, or 4G pitches. That top pitch was... GWRs, I think. Um, That's right. Always had the black and red flags, didn't it? Black and red, always had black and red flags, yeah. And even then I was quite impressed, you know, had floodlights um, and training was always available where sometimes I playing at Harringay, it was cancelled because of bad weather or the light bulbs weren't working, the floodlights. Um, and uh, I was just blown away by it. And, and the quantity of players that turned up was just, I mean, they were like 40, 50 deep in training. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a really good place to be. And then after a very short space of time being there, I realised the club was going somewhere, and the level of rugby was was you know was above my ability at that point. Um, and I thought, brilliant! It's nice to have somewhere to strive to. You know, get into the third team. I think it was then get the odd fixture for the second team. Got to look in at first team occasionally. It's really good to have that level where you can look at and go, oh, this is something I can really drive towards. How did the uh, the vets situation come in there with you becoming the captain? Um, completely out of the blue. Um, I just didn't 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 see it coming. Um, I think it was one of the first or second rugby club dinners I had actually gone to, and I got my first club cap. I got I forget what year it was. I can't even think what's on my club cap. I was it two thousand and fourteen or thirteen, I think. Um, so it was the end of that season, and and then Ricky approached me that summer and just 
said, you know, I was thinking I was 40 then, and just said, look, you know, we've, um, I think it was Brendan O'Flannery was coming off the, uh, the Yvette's captain, and he wanted to hand it down to someone slightly younger. At that point, I had been playing about sort of 10 years at, um, uh, at Ealing and knew a lot of the pedigree there. There's also, at this time, it was quite critical, there'd been a bit of a split between the AMs and the pros. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it just, from I suppose, from Ricky's point of view, it was a, it was a good, a good, a good choice. Um, I was completely flattered, actually. I, I couldn't, I, I didn't see it coming at all. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it, it came from there. You're listening to the Ealing 1871 podcast. Bleed green. What's happened? Not necessarily just with Ealing, but across the board with sort of vets rugby in terms, in a sense, that has brought it to a situation where uh, players and fixtures aren't available. Well, I think if I if I explain what's happened at, um, at Ealing and the Evergreens, I think it's like you say, it, it, it's a spotlight you can throw just about in every single club over the country, up and down, left and right of the UK. Um, is that there's just been um, a gen- it's just been a, a generation missing as it comes down. I, I don't know why that is, but you know, also you know, clubs and 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 um, and teams tend to go through sort of peaks and troughs, and we did get up pretty high and did very well and then as some of the players that we relied on to be there sort of you know every other two or three weeks just moved out of London or they got married or they got commitments that you know didn't quite enable them to be readily available for games and it, it we just saw a gradual decline really I mean we shot up very high in the first four or five years did really well and then sort of every year it sort of got a little bit harder. And you'll know this, buddy, because we started calling on 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 the exiles for sort of players to help us out on a Friday. We'd then go out and play on a Saturday. And I suppose that was probably six or seven years in. Um, and so the writing was on the wall then. And then along came the joys of COVID. Um, and just I think that was the final straw and just ripped the rug under the feet of uh, of a lot of clubs around the country where players were getting slightly older and slightly maturer. And I suppose from a naive point of view that I thought after that, you know, COVID, that boys would be dusting their boots off and coming out to play rugby. But I think for a lot of them, it was just a nail in the coffin. And we never really got, we never really got off our feet after, after COVID really. It just, I think it was, we struggled through last year. And I think this year it was just like, well, I think the writing's been on the wall for a while. And so we just pulled the pin. We had some good times there, didn't we? Let's be honest, so it was fun and uh, and it was it into we got into Surrey, which is slightly more competitive league than Middlesex as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was in our second or our third year. Um, actually went to the Surrey leagues, and 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 there's some good clubs in there. And we had a final our final game of the season was against the Heavies, Richmond Heavies, and um, they sort of well, narrowly beat us. Um, but it was I think we finished second or third, which was which was probably unexpected. Um, and then I don't know what happened. I mean, Ricky might know more, but we got sort of kicked out. Not not because we came second or third. I think a lot of them were like, hang on a second, we got to travel all the way over there on a <laughs> Friday or on a Saturday night, whatever it is. We can't be bothered. We're old, we're old fellas. Um, so we got kicked out and came back to the uh, came back to the Middlesex Vets, which we did well then for another couple of years. And um, and as I say, I think it, I think clubs just go through this ups and down bits. I know Chiswick. Um, vets are doing very well at the moment. They're doing really, really well. They came up a, a serious team to beat for us um, in the last sort of couple of seasons, and um, and I suppose they're on a spike, you know. And it can also be with what's happening elsewhere in the club. If there's a very strong 
first and second and third team that can really help maybe a struggling vets team and um you know i think that's what's happening at chiswick and i think as i say i think for us at ealing there is a very first a very 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 strong first second team and it sales but it's getting you know it's obviously we can't rely on them you know every three or four weeks to help us we have to be able to help ourselves before we've got to get at least 10 15 men available to play before we can start relying on pulling on everywhere else for people to help us really and we were struggling to get seven or eight over those 20 years you've had uh with uh with an ealing down at valley's way what would you say your highlights have been those those 20 years anything stand out for you uh oh, i didn't see that question coming <laughs> uh, probably probably actually taking the um the vets uh captaincy i've got to say i as i didn't see it coming um, I realised that the level of commitment towards it, I had to change my access completely. And, um, you know, I did sort of look around the room and go, well, you know, he could have got it or he could have got it or he could have got it. Um, and I think for the people who, you know, the likes of who are running the club now obviously looked at it and said, no, he's the person we want. And I suppose from the point of view of being there for 10 years before that, it's a, probably a legacy of, the foundation of work I put into my rugby to be able to recognise that, you know, I was the person to be able to take a team uh, like the vets to a level that they weren't at. And I suppose from the point of view of that, for me, it was, uh, that was probably the highlight. Not so much on the field where I could say that I scored three tries once or was it four against old Actonians? Not that I'm remembering <laughs> that. Um, but no, it's more that, I think when you look at your time at a club, it can it can be what what you get from the club and what you give to the club that, for me, really, you know, shows a, a, a highlight, really. So I think it would be getting the getting the vets captaincy. We don't want to, you know, labour the point. You are you're over your half century, you're over fifty. And um, how long do you see yourself playing? I realise that Mrs. Usher might be listening to this and, and holding you to account. No, no, I've, you do I've go shot, on the record with it. I've shut the kitchen door. Um, you know what? As long as the body is willing, um, it will continue. It will continue to go. And in fact, oddly enough, when that text came, well, that WhatsApp came through through Eddie Beck about, "Come on, guys, pull your fingers out. Let's get down to the club. Enjoy yourself. Get back into rugby." I sort of ran up past my thirteen-year-old <clears throat> son and said, "Hey, Diggs, what do you think? What do you think I should do? You know, we're not doing the vets anymore." He goes, "Well, why wouldn't you play rugby, Dad? You know, because I can come and watch you. And, and why wouldn't you still want to do that?" And I was like, "Actually, yeah, you know what? He's got a point." So I thought. Do it, do it for as long as you can do it. Because I tell you what, when you stop playing for a club, you stop playing for a club and that's it. It's over. You could still participate and do stuff for the club and support it in other ways. But once you stop putting those boots on, that's it. So I'll continue going for as long as they'll take me on the team sheet. But it is, if he's 13, that's another five years before you can play in the same match together. Um, is that going to be something to yeah. fancy as a target? Yeah, I, I, I know, I know. Bill, Bill uh, Miller did it, didn't he, with yeah, um, Alex. his son of yeah, Alex. And it is. Uh, I do remember having a couple of beers with him and saying it's really, really important. Um, the only problem I've got with that is the only problem I've got that is, is Digby really likes football. <laughs> Oh well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, and he's quite and, and he's quite good at it. So 
I might have to wait till it gets to over six foot and it's like sort of 90 kg before I can persuade him that, you know, maybe, maybe football isn't his thing because he's slowed down a bit and get him on the football field, get on the rugby field. But I think even then he's such a sportsman that if it got to that point and, you know, he was 17, 16, 17, I don't know when is the, when, when, when can a, 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 a younger, younger person play an adult's game? I think it's when is they turn it? eighteen. I think eighteen. Eighteen, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, yeah, maybe, yeah, I might, I might, might bring myself out for a little run around with the exiles. Get him on the field. Happy birthday, son! Here's the yeah. Here row. you go. Here's Get a pair of boots. Get in the second row. Get, Get some cauliflower ears on you. Exactly. Exactly. There you yeah. go. Well, on that note, Jake, we will say thank you very much. It was brilliant to talk, and uh, yeah, I hope it all goes well for the rest of the season. The body holds up, and you keep. And long may you enjoy it. That's what we say. Oh, thanks very much, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all the usual social channels. And remember, bleed green. <laughs>